welcome to the Lord's house. Whether you're in the room or whether you're watching online, we welcome you. And uh, I compliment you for pausing in your life, especially at the threshold of a new year in our culture, uh, to seek God's counsel, uh, his grace and his favor moving forward. Let's stop for a word of prayer. Gracious Lord, our, our lives are an open book to you. We have no secrets from you. And yet, Lord, we sometimes uh, have concerns in self-examination. We see things in our life that, that, uh, that we're not proud of, things that have uh, been a part of our past, Lord, that, that we have trouble leaving behind us, Lord, in this, the threshold of a new year. We ask your favor to help us wipe the slate clean. And uh, not just for what has been done, but Lord, enter into our life for what you wish to do. For our benefit, as a father wants to see a child prosper. And Lord, for the benefit of those that we interact with. And for your glory, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let me just say that uh, the service today is... uh, contains a message that's not for everybody. You know, it, it's just for some. And uh, in a moment, I'll, I'll dismiss those, you know, who, who feel it's not for them. Because it's, it's only for those who are suffering from certain regrets, either present regrets or regrets for things in the past that still trouble you, things that maybe you said, or regret for things that you did not say, that you left unsaid. For those who have um, done things they're not proud of or wish they had done things differently. It's for those folks. It's for those who are suffering from mistakes that have lingering consequence. It's for those of us who have uh, missed opportunities or, or wasted opportunities that were given us. For those of us who regret relationships that have been lost or strained. For those who regret a path that we did not take for past decisions with lasting consequence, for hurts that we caused either intentionally or accidentally, Uh, for those who regret forgiveness that was withheld or forgiveness that was so desperately needed, for love unspoken, for money wasted, for promises forgotten, for truth ignored, for those who regret gratitude unexpressed, generosity withheld, and faith untested. It's only for those people. So if that doesn't include you, uh, you can leave now, and I suggest that you check yourself into a hospital for the delusional, because you'd be tripping. (laughs) But if it includes you, if you live with some regrets, then God has a word for you. And and in my uh, message today, I would encourage that you just make a few notes. There's a blank space usually on the back of the communication piece. I'm going to reference three books. I'm going to reference this one, the one that that we preach from, the one that contains all truth. But then there are those who have discerned the truth that's here that impart some of that in relevant ways. I'm going to reference two other books and, uh, and some passages. In fact, I don't have time to go through all the passages I want to put before you, but I'm going to put them on the screen and I want you to jot them down. We're going to be looking at uh, the book of Lamentations uh, in chapter 3. Now, Lamentations means to cry out. 
And you say, well, what was he lamenting? What was he crying about? Well, it's the prophet Jeremiah who was crying about the destruction of the holy city, Jerusalem. He was an observer of that. And whether he wrote it while it was actually occurring or, or more likely wrote it in reflection of what he witnessed, uh, he regrets that it came to that, that God allowed Israel's enemies uh, to vanquish them for a time. Um, the book of Lamentations is made up of five chapters. Each of them are poems. In fact, the first uh, four are actually acrostic poems. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. In every verse, the 22 verses in those first four chapters begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. All five of the poems are, lent, are, are written in what is called the limping meter, you know, which was a, a meter that was used for Hebrew dirges, you know, for songs of sorrow. Because there is sorrow for uh, what God was forced to do to enter into Israel's life in a disciplinary way. But in the chapter that we're going to read, uh, there is this hope because God doesn't discipline to get even. God doesn't require that we pay a price for our error. You know, Jesus paid the price for our error, amen? You know, God doesn't extract a second payment. Uh, but he will discipline us so that we might turn away or so that our children might not be trapped in our behaviors. And so he holds out hope, and the prophet also has a word of hope, and of course, that's where we go today uh, with our message. So here we go. It's Lamentations chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 19. He starts with regret, regret for the situation he finds himself in. He says, uh, when I focus on my affliction, or when I think about my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall, you know, which always follows, I remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. You know, when you focus on your failure, when you focus on your mistakes. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And this is the essence of our message today, that despite your regrets, and all of us have some, yet we have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. In fact, even in the discipline, even in the captivity after the city was destroyed and, and uh, those who were deemed worthy by Babylon were carried into captivity, God's compassion didn't even fail in their discipline as it doesn't for us as we suffer our discipline either. He's right there. And, and in fact, they became so prosperous in their captivity that after 70 years, which Jeremiah in the book by his name prophesied, only 70 years would they be in captivity, the death of an entire generation. They prospered so well that when God brought a message and allowed them to return, many of them didn't want to return. Their life had become so good even in captivity. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great was his faithfulness even while they were suffering his discipline. So I say to myself, you see, the Lord is my portion in this life. Therefore, I'm going to wait on him. I'm going to trust in him. The Lord is good to those who place their hope in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So there are uh, three stages to this process. First, there's acknowledgement of my regret. There's a recognition that it is true and, and I deserve what I get. 
And yet there's a hope and an expectation for the salvation of the Lord. I just have a a simple uh, three-step message here today. The, The first is this, that first you must realize that everyone feels, everyone suffers setback. It's, it's so important for you to acknowledge this. It, it, it doesn't mean that you should excuse your sin uh, because everybody sins. After all, I'm no worse than anybody else. No, because sin always hurts. It hurts you. It hurts those you love. It hurts your witness. And it, and it brings uh, evil into the world. And so I'm not excusing it. But at the same time, if you don't acknowledge that everybody suffers from this oppression, the human nature of sin, uh, you could lose all hope. You could lose all uh, belief that things can get better. We need to be objective about our condition and not kick ourselves, you know, for the fact that we are human, for the fact that we fail. In fact, Luther once said, sin boldly. He didn't, he didn't mean don't care because after all you're forgiven anyway. He just meant don't let the devil turn sin against you and beat you up with it. It was an important concept for Paul to understand. Remember uh, the apostle Paul was guilty of the martyrdom of Christians in the New Testament. That could have been, uh, you know, unbraiding of him. It, it could have destroyed him to just think about what he was responsible for and the regrets that he had you know, about the pain that he caused others, even the death that he caused for others. If he had not come to realize that, you know, it's just his human nature to sometimes sin and to step back and and to acknowledge that. In Romans chapter 7, he says, I know that nothing good dwells in me. Uh, That is in my flesh. For the wishing is always present in me, but the doing is not. For the good that I wish, I find I, I struggle to do. And I end up practicing the very evil that I do not wish to do. But if I'm doing the thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. It was important for him to come to the realization that he could never be perfect. You could beat yourself up all you want for the past regrets, but you should realize that you will never be perfect. It's your nature to be a sinner. You know, because we are a part of a fallen race. Billy Joel, which dates me a bit, but uh, his song, you know, uh, Human Nature, uh, speaks to this truth. Uh, In fact, he dedicated all the prophets for this song uh, to the suicide prevention of teenagers because they are especially overcome by their regrets, by mistakes made, or or by bullying, or, or problems in their life, and sometimes they have no hope. And so his song speaks about just hold on. You know, it may seem dark at the moment, uh, but there's going to be a change that's coming. In one of the verses, he says, it's not always to be living. It's, it's not easy to be living in this world of pain. You're going to be crashing into stone walls again and again. It's all right. It's all right. Though you feel your heart break, you're only human. You're going to have to deal with heartache. Just like a boxer in a title fight, you got to walk in that ring you feel all alone. You're not the only one who's made mistakes, but they're really the only thing you can call your own. So don't forget your second wind. Wait in the corner until that breeze blows in. The Bible makes this so clear in Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you. I love this psalm because it speaks of God's grace even in the Old Testament. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my 
cry for mercy. Because, Lord, I know that if you kept a record of sin, no one could stand. We all sin. We all fall short. Now, one of the books that I'm going to recommend to you is, is this one uh, by John Maxwell. Uh, when I first met John Maxwell, he was uh, actually a pastor at Skyline Baptist Church in San Diego and uh, actually um, uh, spoke at a couple of conferences with him and uh, got to know him personally. He now runs a multi-million dollar consulting corporation uh, out of Atlanta, uh, John Maxwell, Inc. Uh, he's moved into business, but he still has that strong Christian perspective on his, uh, on his teaching and on his consultation. And it's interesting that the world even sees value in that. And this book is about failing forward. He acknowledges that we all fail. In fact, here are some quotes from his uh, observation. The essence of man. Your essence is imperfection. Don't beat yourself up so badly, you know, for, for uh, a sinful nature that you cannot overcome alone. Know that you're going to make mistakes. The fellow who never makes a mistake takes his order from someone who does. <laughs> So wake up and realize this. Failure is simply a price that we pay to achieve our ultimate success. God uses people who fail because in reality there aren't any other kind, you know. So don't beat yourself up for past failures, for mistakes that you made. It's just human nature. Uh, When it comes right down to it, I know of only one factor that separates those who consistently shine from those who don't. The difference between average people and achieving people is their perception of and their response to failure. Nothing else has the same kind of impact on people's ability to achieve and to accomplish whatever their minds and hearts desire. 90% of those who fail ultimately are never actually defeated. They simply quit. You know, they don't just acknowledge that this is part of their nature. They accept that there is no other possibility for them. But once we acknowledge that we have this human fatal flaw, there is something else that we can do, something to clean the slate, something to set the table for our future. And that leads me to our second point. You must embrace the true gospel. Now, what I've done here is I've just photocopied a page out of my Bible. And I did this for a couple of reasons. First of all, because I want to teach you a way that you can use your Bible and study your Bible. This is the Lord's Prayer, the section from Matthew chapter 6. It's also contained in the Gospel of Luke. But in this section, I've circled verse 12 because I wanted to remind myself to look at the bottom of the page. Now, when I think about forgiveness... Uh, what comes to mind is forgive us as we also forgive others. You know, that petition in the Lord's Prayer. And, and so every time I think about forgiveness or I'm reading my Bible and, and a, a passage about forgiveness comes to mind, I turn to this page if it's significant and I write it at the bottom of the page or I write it in the margin of the page until I run out of room. And, and uh, maybe at one of these other references, then I'll find more. And it's just a way that I, I continue to remind myself Uh, of God's truth. And when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to embracing the fact that I'm a sinner, there's nothing I can do about it, but there's something God has done about it in Christ Jesus. You know, I come to this passage, and I'm going to ask them to, uh, to put all of these verses on the page, and this is, just copy a few of them, if you would. Because these are, these are uh, spelled more clearly, uh, the passages that I have uh, written at the bottom of my 
uh, of my page there on the Lord's Prayer. And let me just share a couple of them with you while you copy. Because in Isaiah 43, it says, Steve, this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, the one who formed you. Don't have fear about your failure. I have redeemed you. I have purchased your failure. And I have summoned you by name. You are mine. You know, it's important for me to remember that he knows me by name. He, he knows all of my past mistakes. And he has forgiven them. He has redeemed them. Or Jeremiah 31, 34. For I alone will forgive their iniquity. And their sin I will remember no more. I had to just think about that. It's interesting that, and, and this has been a weakness all my life that I, I, I fortunately uh, don't suffer from as much today as I did for many years, is that I kick myself for past mistakes. I find it very easy to forgive other people. In, in fact, uh, pastors often ask me, you know, how do you not get bitter out of, out of all the struggles that a pastor faces, all the accusations, all the trouble that people make for you? I just say, man, that's job security. That's why I'm here. You know, that, that's just the nature of people. I don't take it personally. But what I do take personally is my own mistakes. I, I can forgive others. I just can't forgive myself so well. And, and then when I think about this passage, he says, I have forgotten your sins. I, I think that when I'm still troubled by a sin and I bring it up to God, he says, why do you remind me of that? I forgot that. You know, why are you bringing it up to me? Tell me more about that. Because God has not only forgiven my sin, he's forgotten my sin. Why do I still remember it? Why do I still kick myself for something that God has moved on from? Or Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your sins from you. I don't know how far the east is from the west, but I think it's pretty far. I don't think they ever meet. That's how far God has removed my sin from me. In Psalm 103, it's a psalm I read at my father's funeral. And it speaks about, uh, as a father has compassion on a child, so God has compassion on those who love him. It's an awesome chapter. Or Micah seven nineteen. I love this one too. It's one of them listed there in the third column. But now this is what the Lord says. I have redeemed you. I have summoned you. He will have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. And he will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. You know that we have uh, been to the moon. Uh, man has uh, scaled the highest mountains. But there are troughs in the Atlantic Ocean where no man and no instrument that man has made can descend to. The pressure is just too great. That's where God has put your sins. Where no one can retrieve them. You know, he has tread them underfoot. He has forgotten them. He's buried them into the deepest parts of the sea. I'd say he's cleaned the slate. You know, he's removed them far from us. And then finally, this passage from Colossians 2.14, such a, a powerful passage. I often think about it when we get to uh, Good Friday, when we get to the, the death of Jesus and the purpose for which he was born. God has canceled the debts against you. Do you have some debts? Would you like to have them wiped away? These are specific debts. The decrees against you that were hostile to you, the accusations that could be verified of the mistakes that you have made, he's canceled those. And here's what he's done. He has taken them away from you and he has nailed them to the cross. You know, he's done something about them. Christ paid for them. He nailed my sins, my sins, nailed 
Christ to the cross. You know, so to hang on to them is to deny that Christ has died for me. So the first step is to acknowledge that, yes, I'm a sinner, but I'm not going to focus on my sin. I'm not going to focus on my failure. I'm just going to acknowledge that, that I will always struggle in my life. But this is the reason that Christ has come, that I might have release from that which would trouble me, and I, and I won't be pinned there by it. And then the third and final point I want to make is that you must discover and embrace your own importance in the world. You know, at the end of this chapter in Lamentations, or at the end of this section of the chapter of chapter 3, he says, wait, wait for the salvation of the Lord. You know, so, so first we acknowledge that we are sinful by nature. Secondly, that God has done something about our sin. And then we expect the Lord to bring about our restoration, our salvation. And, and you each have importance, and your importance and your significance is different from each other. It's a positive thing. I, I want to reference this book. It's another incredible book. It's been written by Victor uh, Frankl. Uh, Victor Frankl was born in 1905. Uh, he actually died in uh, 1997 at the age of 92. He was born in uh, Austria uh, to a Jewish family. When Hitler finally usurped Austria and got around to the Jews there, uh, his family in 1942, was removed to a Jewish ghetto, you know, out of Vienna. And, and uh, he lived there for a time until he and his family were transferred to Auschwitz. And ultimately, he ended up in Dachau until the Americans uh, freed the camp. During that concentration experience, his parents died uh, in concentration camps. His wife died in a concentration camp. His brother also died in a concentration camp. When he was finally freed four years later in 1946, uh, he wrote this book uh, called Man's Search for Meaning. And he was already a clinical psychologist uh, of some reputation before he was captured by the Germans. And, And so all the while, he was examining how people dealt with their captivity and their circumstance. It's an incredible book. In fact, the Library of Congress has called it one of the top 10 books of the 20th century, and the most influential books of the 20th century, Man's Search for Meaning. Here are some of his findings just based on his experience. He says, woe to him who saw no sense in his life. You know, if you've given up all hope, the Bible says you still have hope because of what God has done. Woe to him who has no sense in his life, no aim, no purpose. And therefore, no point in carrying on. That was a death sentence in a concentration camp. The meaning of life is to give life meaning. Wow, you want to write something down? The meaning of life is to give your life meaning. Life is never made unbearable by your circumstance. I mean, think of his circumstance. What one of us have suffered four years in captivity? But only by lack of meaning and purpose. It's not my circumstance. It's lack of meaning and purpose. What was really needed was a fundamental change in our attitude towards life. We had to learn ourselves, and furthermore, we had to especially teach the despairing among us that it didn't really matter what we expected from life, you know, our expectations, but rather what life expected from us. It didn't matter so much what we had hoped for in life, but rather what opportunities did life present for us to evidence the character that we had. We needed to stop asking about the meaning of life 
and instead think of ourselves as those being questioned by life daily and hourly. Life will question you. Life will test you. Life will give you opportunity to express the fact that you know that you fail. You know that others fail and sometimes bring harm to you. But you know that God has dealt with that. And you are now waiting for his direction, seeking his strength and and his encouragement for the next step. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says this. He says, God who has reconciled us to himself, God who has rescued us for himself, has given us the the mission of rescue. We have been rescued. Now we have the mission of rescue. We need to share what we have discovered in life through the circumstance of our life with others, you know, who are in that place that we were. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore his ambassadors. You want to know what you are? You're an ambassador of God to say, yeah, I know that you've messed up. You know, just admit that you've messed up. God has done something about your mess up. And you're his ambassador to impart that message. We implore you on God's behalf to be reconciled and to be a reconciler of others. Now, we're going to talk more about that next week as we move on from clean slate. You know, how do you determine your priorities? You know, how do you move on after you realize that God has set the table, that God has given you a new opportunity? But some of us get a bit cynical You know, we say, I've been there before. I've tried that before. You know, I'm not even going to make any New New Year's resolutions because I I suck at it. You know, I, I never achieve these things. I refuse to live in a life that is predictable. I refuse to live in a life that doesn't believe that God can change things. I refuse to live in a world where miracles don't occur. I refuse to believe that my past will also be my future. I pray that that's true for you too. The difference between the average people and achieving people is their response to failure. I'm going to fail. I'm going to mess up again. So what? It's an opportunity to grow and to learn. This is what Maxwell went on to say in his Failing Forward book. He says, the more you attempt, the more you fail. The more you fail, guess what? It's a learning opportunity. It's not a bad thing. It's an opportunity for you to grow. And the more you learn, the better you get. Unless, he said, unless you quit. And this was his final worst piece of advice. Don't gift wrap the garbage. <laughs> you know, let it go. You know, don't slide it under your bed. You know, don't put it on your cabinet to look at and treasure. <laughs> you know, that I'm a mistake, that I'm a failure in life. Just realize that the difference between those who succeed and those who don't are simply some give up and some quit. Some don't wait on the salvation of the Lord as lamentation encourages all of us, we pray. Gracious Lord, uh, as, as we deal with our reality, uh, we know that nothing good dwells in us, as Paul said, but we know that awesome things dwell in you, and we know for this reason you came into the world uh, not to just give us you know, encouragement, not to just give us an example, but to take our sins to the cross, to clean the slate, and to give us a hope and a future. Lord, as you have done miracles through the life of Christ and in the lives of others, so you can also do for me. Help me to believe and to trust as I wait for the salvation that you have promised, that you will bring that to me in Christ. Amen. Please rise if you would and uh, join with me 
as we prepare our hearts to receive this meal of the Lord's Supper for the forgiveness of our sins and for the strengthening of our faith. It's an important section of uh, Solomon's advice in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that speaks about the nature of life and about your nature. And you're going to find yourself in some of these verses. Let's use it as our confession. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones, a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to toss. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. No matter what time it is in your life, know that the Lord uh, wants to enter into your time. And he wants to bring forgiveness and restoration. And he wants to bring hope in a future. If you believe that, just declare it by saying, this I confess. This I confess as well. Please join with me in a, in a response of faith that is also found in the scripture uh, from the hand of King David when he wrote, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. No, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You know, if that has been your acknowledgement and that is your faith, then be assured that for this reason Christ was born, for this reason he came into the world to redeem you, to restore you, and to give you a hope and a future in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. He has also prepared for us in his mercy a tangible uh, way in which we can touch the reality of what he has done upon the cross, that he has nailed our sins to the cross. And, and in this, he offered his last supper, a supper that he said we should continue to celebrate, to acknowledge the forgiveness that we have and the strength and renewal of our faith in that process. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way, then he took the cup and after supper gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the remission of your sins. This do as often as you eat and as often as you drink in remembrance and recollection and proclamation of what he has done and what he promises to do for you. Amen. We welcome you to follow the instruction of the volunteers and come forward to receive the Lord's Supper.